0: Today's guest is Chris Prangy Morgan. Chris is a writer, speaker, adventure seeker, hospital chaplain, and amputee mom. Chris's parenting article featured in the Huffington Post got the attention of NBC and landed her on the Today Show, where she shared some of her parenting and health retreats, spiritual companioning, and advocacy work. It is our pleasure to introduce Chris Prangy Morgan. Hey, Chris, how are you today? Good to see you. Good to see you, Rick. How's it going? You're in Chicago, right? We are near Chicago in beautiful Joliet, Illinois. That is correct. And it is a very, very wintry day. And what I mean by that is it's not favorable in terms of temperature. And it is definitely very, very gray and cloudy out there. Fortunately, we don't have any snow at the moment. But it certainly felt like winter when I got in the car to get to the studio today. Where in the world are you right now?
1: I'm up in Wisconsin, right outside of Milwaukee, actually.
0: Did I so, hear correctly that up north they might have got a little bit of snow or no?
1: Yeah, we got, I'd say about three inches yesterday.
0: Oh, no kidding.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a wintry mix. So slushy, but not horrible to drive in. But yeah, I know I'm not ready. I, how, I'm not. How a
0: big... long have you been in Wisconsin?
1: I actually grew up here. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lived in Philadelphia for about four years, and that was really the only time I was I lived outside of the state. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm a Midwestern girl through and
0: through. So, are you like a major, like, what is it, like Green Bay Green Bay Packer fan?
1: I'm actually. I don't even get into football. I don't understand it. And, you know, it's like a religion up here. Uh, if you no live in does. oh man. And that is just not me, but I work in healthcare. And every time I walk into patient rooms and the Packer game is on, at least I can engage in conversation about it. And I let people um, teach me a little bit about the game because I'm just clueless.
0: Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of interest in professional sports in general. And I, I not that I don't find things like the Olympics you know, fascinating, but in terms of, I guess, high money-making kind of sports endeavors, I sort of, I, I just don't really gravitate towards it all that much. I know the Super Bowl is one of the most watched things, you know, going, but it, to me, it's kind of like, okay, well, the commercials are kind of cool, but yeah. Or the halftime show kind of thing. Cause I'm a musician. Um, You know, when I first started researching your story and going through what's been a a pretty interesting path as an amputee, I think the one thing that kind of stood out to me right away was the fact that you're an adoptive parent. And that particular part of your story fascinated me in that, uh you know, you have, uh, you know, a child who's special needs and, you know, I did some fostering, uh, in my younger years and we were always managing, you know, a lot of what I considered to be special circumstances, special needs, things like that. And, you know, um, I think it's a special calling. Wouldn't you agree with that?
1: Um I yeah, I don't know if I would call it a calling or more of an adjustment of expectations that you're constantly sort of shooting towards. Um uh we adopted our kids as toddlers and uh and I certainly didn't expect to have some of the challenges that we had. Um So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like it's one of those things that you really don't know how it is until you're in it. And I feel like I'm constantly educating people about how we've had to parent intentionally. Uh, You know, it's not like like you're, you know, bio kid in a a sense, because, you know, my kids came out of, you know, out of their orphanages with with needs. Um, So I'm curious when when you did your fostering, how old were the children you fostered?
0: Typically they were in their younger years, I would say as young as six or seven years old. Okay. Let's say as old as 13 or 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. This was over the course of maybe three or four years. And I think in total, uh, there was maybe six or seven kids. Wow. uh, One of which I still talk to now, now that she's an adult and, the goal with fostering was always re- reunification it, sure. it was providing a stable place for mm-hmm. that child but it was always a temporary situation yeah. and we were working towards getting that child back to uh either mom dad or family mm-hmm. and you know those those were were interesting experiences because kids, you know, you just didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you saying, well, adjusting, you know, expectation and trying to be very deliberate in the way that you interact, I would think is the lesson there. Mm-hmm. And when you ad- adopted your kids as toddlers, was was there any signs of special needs or was that something that came on later?
1: so our daughter um we brought her home in July of 2007 and um and she honestly the only thing that i noticed with her was that the concept of family seemed foreign and uh so we we did all the techniques that the agencies can you know suggested that we do you know uh co-sleeping um using sweets and things like that to like give to them to kind of sweeten the attachment process going back to like an infancy um that that kind of stuff um so she was really pretty a a formidable little kid a little toddler and um she didn't have a hard time attaching after a couple of months um but my son was a totally different story uh he had a lot of orphanage trauma and neglect, which has had this life changing impact on our family and he's made amazing progress you know don't get me wrong, he's doing very well right now, but um the earlier years where he was in our family were extremely hard because he just was resistant to attaching um and so, yeah, it's been kind of a lifelong process of trying to understand like, you know, you can't just go in and expect these children who come from a different country, you know, were birthed to non-biological or, you know, to a different biological set of parents, have have a different, you know, family set set of family circumstances that they've come from to like, just open up and, you know, connect like, I was pretty clueless when I (laughs) came into the the whole process. And um, so over the years, you know, I mean, it's taken a lot of time for our family to um, really feel this sense of cohesion. And honestly, I do think that my accident kind of plays into that um, in a sense that I, you know, at the time, I never would have thought that you know, having this this accident that is kind of a, a horrible set of circumstances could unify a family in a sense. Um, and in retrospect, it's kind of, it's amazing all the responsibilities my kids had to learn at the time and how they've really grown up and become amazing kids, you know?
0: Yeah. And there was something that I had written down, and I, I want to say this, this was uh, something that you had, had written or said, but it was, um, I had written down, trauma does not discriminate, but can educate. Mm-hmm. And um, that really resonated with me because I feel like so much of my life has been a testament to that particular concept. Whereas when life was easy, I don't feel like I was making the kinds of physical and emotional gains that I was when I was managing trauma Mm -hmm. and being able to find the tools or the coping mechanisms or the support systems, whatever that spectrum of resources were that allowed me to move forward, that seemed to be the most, I guess, uh, the biggest sort of learning moments of my life. Whereas when things were good, health was great, you know, family, career, all those things were 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 clicking along. I was more just in that sort of everyday process. Mm-hmm. Whereas something would happen that was traumatic for me, you know, as we both know, becoming an amputee or, you know, managing the the raising of children that come from a, a traumatic circumstance. It's, it's, it's remarkable how much we learn mm-hmm. in that particular space, wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I know gratitude or the concept of gratitude has become kind of a bu- buzzword lately. You know, you have gratitude journals and, you know, you see, you know, posters with gratitude. and the, But I think there's a reason for that. And I think that that's what you hit the nail on the head of. Is uh, you learn through facing adversity, whatever that might be, trauma. What's important, and you know, I I'm always thinking. I, I enjoy you know going to the prosthetist office so I can hear all these amazing stories that people share, because uh, I'm just always taken aback by what the human spirit can endure, and you know I look back on our family set of circumstances too. And I think, wow, you know, we really have endured a lot and you sort of look back on the things that used to, you used to think were important. And I just kind of laugh. I think, I can't believe I used to think that, you know, these very trivial circumstances were a big deal, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that we all kind of share that, um, that way of thinking, you know what I mean?
0: Sure. Absolutely. You know, I, w- I want to talk about your your fall and, and your amputation and, and that seems to be a, again, something that you recognize as a connection point in your own family's development. You know, previous, previous to your amputation, though, you know, managing or navigating that adoptive space, you know, with your spouse, I mean, what would be what would be the kind of advice that you'd give, let's say, a young couple that was considering adoption? Mm.
1: Um, I'd certainly encourage people to do as much homework as possible um, before going into um, the adoption, because you know, looking back um, again um, on the the resources that we've had to. Employ financially, emotionally, um, you know, building community. I mean, these are things that uh, we didn't necessarily have going into, the, you know, to this. And um, so back then, now that I'm thinking back though, um, our, we had different medical insurance and that has changed. So, you know, we've got prosthetic needs, we've got, you know, needs for my children and their um uh, their therapies um they've got some complex medical conditions as well Uh, both of my kids were born with cleft lip and palate so over the years we've had to kind of schlep back and forth to children's for different kinds of surgeries i was just with my son at a uh, oral surgeon appointment for you know just some just ongoing needs and um you know of course look at, I always had a full-time job. I had, I couldn't do that anymore because of having to stay home with my kids. And, um, yeah. So like all the things that you, the ways that you think you're going to be able to parent, like it goes out, all that goes out the window, <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: uh, expect the unexpected.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Were you were you always uh, a pretty active kid when you were young? I mean, were you one of those people that kind of excelled athletically?
1: Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. Um, in fact, I, I, um, a comment that I say a lot is I have to get out of my head and into my body. Um, that's just I, one of the reasons that I had my amputation, actually, is because... I was finding after 2 years of limb salvage that like I wasn't able to be active and my father was actually an athlete um and I didn't realize till later in my life that like I'm wired just like he is like if I'm not moving somehow I would go bonkers you know <laughs> um I probably have ADHD <laughs> um you know looking looking back um but yeah, I'm always feeling the need to like um just like we'll go like right now I've got a shoulder injury. Um I just had an MRI about for that yesterday, but um so I'm not able to climb. Uh so I I have to get like on an elliptical or um I was having some knee problems last year, so I was swimming quite a bit. So I'm just trying to always figure out how to how to get my groove, you know, yeah. by staying active.
0: When did, when did climbing enter the picture, you know, when, when did that become a passion for you? How old were you?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. My husband um lived in Las Vegas in what, the later two thousands and we got married in 2005. So on our second date, uh, we were talking about what kinds of things we enjoyed and he said he was he got into rock climbing when he was living in Vegas, and I said I've always wanted to try that. So our second date, we went to the climbing gym, and I was hooked instantly. And uh, yeah, so then we started climbing a lot, and it became part of our family. And in fact, my daughter just had a competition last night. We still we still climb. It's a great family activity. I mean, it gets you outside. It's a great community that's just growing. Um, so, yeah, I started climbing actually in like 2004.
0: Don't you feel like families that engage those activities together? Because one of the things I admire about you in particular and so much of your, your video blog and some of the things that you share out there, it, it would appear to me that you really engage these physical activities as a family now. Yeah. And to me, it would seem that such a great blueprint, you know, for lifestyle, it's mm-hmm. just such a, it's such a, a perfect way to put your children even on a path of, you know, health and awareness about their bodies and, you know, all the things that, you know, we want our, you know, our children to experience, um, but it's it seems like you you've you've done that that job very well even as an amputee you've done that job very well
1: yeah thanks really i mean it was kind of a no brainer for us like you know my husband and i just have always been outdoor enthusiasts and um and honestly like we we after my amputation we ended up getting a camper because I have some back issues as well. So like tenting it and sleeping on the ground was like, all right, great idea. It's not worth it. Um, so, you know, we've done road trips every summer. My husband works in education, so we had summers off. Um, you know, our son has ADHD. So, you know, he's burning off energy. Um, yeah, it's just kind of been like a, kind of a no brainer for us over the years. Um, you know, we kayak and We bike and um and I hope that our kids always maintain that love of the outdoors and just, you know, I just think overall it's healthier. Uh
0: I was uh I was you know watching um the piece on the Today show that you did. Mm. And you know, you describing that day when you had your accident when you when you had a fall how how high up were you when you fell
1: I, I'm trying to think um I would say it was like about 28 feet or something wow. like that like I know yeah, that's at, way
0: at, that's way the hell up there man
1: yeah yeah I mean yeah. the 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 gym itself I think is like 30 something feet and I wasn't like all the way at the top but <laughs> there was this brand new set that was on the wall and I didn't even know what the rating was. And I was like, Oh, that looks like a great route. I want to, I want to climb it. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I, uh, so you're
0: you're climbing up this wall and what you would do every day, let's say when you're climbing, which was completely normal protocol, that particular day you did not strap yourself in for some reason. Yeah, and do you have you ever do you process that on that at all, or is that pretty much like in your rear view now? Do you not even think about it?
1: I think about it. I mean, I still climb. People are surprised that I still climb, but I totally know why why the fall happened. Um, And actually, while I was in the hospital um, recovering, I had um, a psychologist come and do you know uh, an assessment and for post traumatic stress from my accident to see if I had any post-traumatic stress symptoms. And I actually said, you know, I think I had post-traumatic stress before the accident happened, which was probably why it happened. I, I was in this hyper-vigilant, very hyper alert mode all the time because of parenting and overdrive and dealing with a, a child who had a lot of needs and I thought I could take on the world and I could be the super mom. And because I, you know, I had worked in human services, and as a social worker in my past, like, I thought I could do all these things. And um, so the day that the accident happened, he had been through some therapies in the morning. He had an appointment in the afternoon, and I was thinking I was going to go to the gym, I was going to, you know, climb for about an hour and a half. And I was going to And then I was going to leave and I was going to take him to this appointment. I had to work that evening, you know, all these ways we think we're going to manage our lives. And, you know, the first, the first, um, the first thing that is always on a climber's mind is make sure you check yourself, you know, make sure you're clipped in to your harness or into the belay system. And this was on an auto belay, which is like a pulley. Okay. And, um, and I had my kid, sitting on the floor, lining up his cars and playing, but he was, see a lot of, you know, a lot of kids with ADHD have like, they're always moving, they're making noises in the background. I mean, after some time that, that gets into your head and it's like, you don't even realize that you're just like, ah, you know, like, you know, the person tapping next to you constantly or whatever. I mean, I was kind of living with that all the time. And so I I didn't even realize I forgot to clip in and I started climbing and you know obviously ended up falling uh quite a bit and um yeah and that was really life changing you know
0: and I always try to put myself in that particular scenario when it's just this sudden sort of tragic event I mean when you fell you were you it wasn't like you were unconscious like i i thought i remember you saying i tried to get up. Yeah, I did. And you did get up. And I did. yeah. And at what point I mean, I would think immediately you thought okay, something's really really wrong.
1: Yeah. Uh well people will ask, you know, what what was the first thing that came to your head when you knew yeah. you weren't clipped in, right? You know, and after, you know, oh, shit. Uh I was like I mean, and really, this sounds longer than the split second that I thought, you don't want a spinal cord injury. So I, I'm right side dominant. So I broke the fall with my right foot. Mm-hmm. And I had what they call a vertical shear pelvic fracture as well. So as my foot hit the floor, my pelvis sheared like this. And um, so I felt like a marionette, you know, like I wasn't connected at my at my pelvic ring either. And that oh. was wild. Um, but, I, you know, I, my whole life, I've been so focused on everybody else, making everyone else feel, like, comfortable and okay, and I wanted everyone to know that I'm fine, you know, like, it was just reflexive, but I wasn't, obviously. So, um, yeah, that was bizarre. I mean, I knew something was wrong, and um, I, I still remember laying on the floor waiting for the paramedics and thinking... Whoa, this is like nothing I will have ever been through. I'd never even been in a hospital, you know? And uh like, wow, I can't believe I let myself get this stressed out, man. Like, whew. Um, and
0: being this uh this physical, athletic, active go getter and you're managing your children on a five star level and you're doing all of these things and to suddenly have that split second where all of that energy pulled you away from doing that one thing that was going to completely change your life in that moment, I would think, does any of that sort of take you to a place of, okay, how do I, I mean, becoming an amputee very much for me anyway, it was a reminder of, well, it's time to take care of me now. Mm -hmm. And I really, really need to focus on my self-care. I really need to get to know my body again. I really need to go through and navigate this very, very difficult space, which is Mm -hmm. being an amputee, something nobody ever thinks they're going to go through. Nobody ever plans for it. Nobody ever... Thinks about well, I wonder what it's like to not have one of my limbs. Yeah, it, it's it's just not a place I I don't think unless you unless you've grown up with an amputee or you knew an amputee, I I can't imagine that would enter anyone's consciousness at all. So going to that does that put you in a state of well, how am I going to find that balance that allows me? to do the self-care because obviously you've done it you're still an active person but also to be able to give of yourself uh for your children and that's in that simultaneous kind of way mhm
1: i like how you you mentioned the word energy before I, I like to think about life in terms of the amount of energy that we have like a like a pie you know you've got you know 100% of your time and your effort and um, I used to give 80% to my kids, you know, and, uh, yeah, you're right. Something like a life-changing accident and then dealing with, um, limb issues, um, that you're always kind of working through, you know, you're never, you're never quite arrived because you're always dealing with some, one issue or another. Um, yeah, it requires you to. Or at least in my case, I realized it required me to um, have to put myself first and to shed this idea that you have to be such the martyr. Like you have to um, give and give and give to feel this sense of fulfillment because if it's like that whole oxygen mask thing, you know, you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help other people. Um, and then in retrospect, like the fact that I've been able to, um, be a witness for my kids that this is how you should really be too. You should think or care about your needs. Like if you're not feeling well, don't push through it. What is that about? Like, um, or if you are feeling stressed, like my daughter is a perfectionist, you know, she's like straight A kid and, um, and and to be able to just say, you know what, if I'm not perfect, that's fine. Um because that pursuit of trying to be perfect all the time for me was why I ended up in this mess. You know what I mean? So so looking back, like I think to be able to cherish yourself. You know, for me to learn how to cherish myself was a whole new ball game. And, uh, but it's been a good one, you know, I really honestly don't think that, um, I would be able to do it any other way, you know, because, you know, like I mentioned my pelvic fracture before, and we know that, um, with limb loss, we have to make sure that, you know, like our gait is decent or we're going to end up with back pain. And for me, like I have to dial in like a lift in my left shoe, You know, anytime I change shoes, I have to figure that out. Um, The roll of the toe, if I'm walking for too long, that, you know, like it'll affect my back. And then, you know, pain is a game changer, too. And. um, Oh, I just had a bandwidth problem here. Sorry about that. Are you there?
0: Yeah, we're here. Okay. you look look great. You look perfect. You sound good. Everything's good on our end.
1: Okay, I just had a little alert in the corner of my screen. No,
0: you're. I think you know. I think what you're talking about, and I speak. I speak about this pretty often. Is there's there's so much nuance to becoming an amputee, and there are so many little fine details that go into developing the correct gait, being able to function in what I consider to be a consistent way. Mm -hmm. that is, uh, pain-free. We, you know, there, there, there are certainly days when my residual limb is what I consider to be very cooperative. Uh, it's like my limbs in a good mood today. Yep. And my limb loves my prosthesis today. And I'm walking around like, like this, you know, this prosthetic leg is, it's just an extension of myself. Like I don't have any issues at all. And it could be something as simple as changing a shoe, you know, going to a different shoe type, and everything falls apart, you know? Mm. Like <laughs> suddenly yeah. I'm moaning and groaning and I'm in pain and I can't move and I'm Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny how one little detail can can sort of knock over those dominoes and it just it goes down the line. Yeah. So, you know, for you. What was, what was the thing that, that you would say surprised you most about recovery and, you know, getting back to normal as an amputee, especially being a, a, a very physical person?
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think in terms of that, we're all these multifaceted people and I used to love, I was never like a, a, a high heel wearer on a regular basis but I still like to look good and, you know, and with women, you know, the shoes make the outfit and all of a sudden to be in this situation where I'm always talking about the concept of grief and loss. And because for me um, it was an elective amputation to regain my quality of life and i never regret that I did it. I I guess I wasn't expecting to still really grieve my leg, my my meat leg, (laughs) or my foot. Um, And and this is gonna sound very strange, but um, going back to your initial question about, or comment about being an active person. (laughs) My right foot, um, my sister and I used to joke because I had a really funny looking foot. My toes kind of curled like suction cups. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was a jumper and a, and a springboard diver in high school. Like I was on the track team and I was super fast. And I, and genetically I've always been a really pretty gifted athlete. And I never thought about the fact that my foot, the as odd as it looked, it had this amazing push and my toes were, were like part of the, an extension of me that I could just really push off my right foot. And like, as a sprinter, I, got out of the gate fast. And it was my, you know, my extension leg when I was diving. And now I have a prosthetic leg and I don't have those toes anymore. (laughs) Uh Those funny looking toes that my, my sister always used to tease me about. But I still have the muscle memory. So even though I'm dealing with a prosthetic foot, like I know how to load the foot and get propulsion from it. And, you know, just Growing up with the mind of an athlete, it's been very helpful, but I'll never not miss that funny looking foot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I I appreciate you saying that because so much of I feel like my own success in getting active again as an amputee is I always think of it like there's this rewiring that's going on where Mm -hmm. there's all these new sort of impulses that are being sent to my brain from my residual limb. Mm-hmm. in cooperation with my prosthesis. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like I'm developing this whole new way to process how to move or how to accelerate or how to pivot. And I think embracing that and saying, well, this is just how it is, and I can do these things, these active things, it's going to feel different it might even feel a little bit strange but i can train myself to adapt because you know the adaptive piece when i talk to you know um you know para athletes and and people that are you know doing the triathlons and and doing all kinds of just incredible achievements from a physical standpoint they'll they'll talk about that and say Once you surrender to it and embrace it and say, this is just how I'm going to get there, that's when the progress happens. Mm -hmm. it's, It's reaching that point of acceptance that when I ride a bike or when I run, it's just going to feel different. And I have to accept that. And once I do so, then I can start doing all the other trainings around that you know, to build my muscles, build my endurance and do all the things that I used to do before and maybe even in some cases, even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that always surprises me when someone will say, you know, I'm I'm actually faster now as an amputee. Wow. And I, I think that's amazing. Yeah. That's just in- incredible to me. Um, as far as your children, you know, after your fall and your amputation, how do you, how do you feel like your, your, your role changed or, um, you know, what, what was, what do you feel like through their lens? What do you think that was like for them?
1: It's funny. Um, so I, um, I've been working on writing this book, uh, for, it's been like a four year ordeal and, um, and I've just... Uh, recently gone back with this perspective now because my daughter's getting ready to go to college or well she's waiting for acceptance letters and she wants to go into healthcare and um, her college essay uh, was amazing it was so good she talked about my accident as one of the defining factors for her to want to go into the healthcare field and um, when I was on the trauma floor it was just very cute I remember she was you know, first grade, I think. Um, she would walk into the room and the nurse that I had was so good with her. Uh, she put her name up on the whiteboard as the mini nurse, and my daughter got to scan my badge and you know bring my little my medication, and she just felt special, and she was very curious about every time they would you know hang a medic- you know antibiotic or you know I had a pick line, she got to flush my pick line um and that was such a an important per- period of time for her mm-hmm. and my son um also was very curious about these things and he's kind of got the my he's kind of a techie kid so like even when we're get I'm getting my leg made he's he's in there watching you know the the techs working on the leg and um you know i I don't know. I can't imagine he's going to go into the prosthetic field. He's actually he's into the culinary field right now, which is very interesting because he almost died of starvation in his orphanage. So, you know, I'm I'm just looking back and I'm just like, whoa, Um, they had to learn how to I mean, they had no choice but to learn how to become responsible. I couldn't go up and down stairs for three months. I had a hospital bed in my living room. So, you know, we live in Wisconsin, and it was throughout the winter months, they had to throw their snow clothes into the dryer. I couldn't do that for them. Um, I couldn't help my kids pick out their clothing. So we had to learn how to like take pictures of the, her closet, and I could help her pick out things, you know, adapting doesn't just doesn't just apply to, you know, the disability community. It's just like life, we're always adapting, and we're figuring it out as we go, Right. So I think that that's a life skill that my kids have learned. Uh, and, and this is the bonus. Um, I've schlepped them along to different um, adaptive sports um, experiences
0: uh-huh.
1: or adaptive sports and recreational experiences. We've been out to the No Barrier Summit several times and we've met amazing people. Um, my kids have gotten to know all these amputees and they've just grown up thinking that this community is just normal. And I mean that's a, such a gift. I think you know they're just they're very they're both very empathic individuals, and I'm very proud of them for that. And I don't think that would have been the case had my accident not happened. I mean I don't know for sure, but
0: but still I th- I I do I do think the normalization piece is really really important in this community. I think that most. Of the general public see an amputation as not just life-changing but almost life-ending and I don't I push back very hard against that and I know amputees that rise above that find their best selves in this particular process of discovering adapting changing and the normalization for me is so important to get content out there To get people to understand that, you know what, amputees, we are among you. We are everywhere, whether you realize it or not. And we are living our best lives. We are doing the things that we, just like anyone else, have dreamt about doing. We're pursuing our dreams. We're, you know, uh, having normal relationships. We're having... Careers we're having, you know, raising families, we're doing all of these things, and I think that to me is such a goal, personally, to 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 let people know that um, this is all just normal. Mm-hmm. This is limb loss uh, occurs. It's it's more common than most people think when you look at it statistically. There are many many people that are in, uh, this community and we are, uh, living our lives out, uh, happy and healthy. And that's what, you know, so much of this podcast is all about is finding people like yourself, sharing your story, sharing your life experience and showing people that are listening, the community that, you know, this is all just pretty normal stuff. You know, these are just normal people and putting, let's say, really high-functioning amputees on a pedestal is such a miscalculation. I mean, these are just normal people. They have blisters too. Yeah. They struggle too. Their prosthesis doesn't fit perfectly either. You know. And I I think there tends to be this divide that gets created, where there's this sort of like superstar group of amputees. And then it's like everybody else mm. and we're all suffering on the other side. Mm. It's like, no, 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 no. It's that, that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. It, it it It's, it's this community that should be sharing with each other so that we can improve and we can move, you know, accelerate as much as possible. And that looks different for everyone. Right. What, what looks, what looks, um, what looks like the best for one person is not necessarily the fullest potential for another. Mm-hmm. You know, when I th- when I think of myself, I, um, I, I want to f- find my own fullest capacity as an amputee, and discovering that is exciting and it's an adventure. But that doesn't mean that my end results need to look like, you know, someone who's in the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. um it might be something completely different and doing it well with grace i think that's what living you know your fullest life is all about and when i think about people like yourself and you know i i look at all the articles you've published and all the people you've helped and you know living your your best life with your family and being active and speaking to this in a way that gives us all guidance. I mean, I I think it's extraordinary and it's a, a huge inspiration for me and it's part of why I think we need to be talking to amputees that come from all different walks of life, mm-hmm. all different limb difference types, all different uh physical and athletic levels and um that come from all kinds of different background and circumstances because the normalization is is what's critical for me. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, my my biggest challenges as an amputee, you know, what comes to mind obviously is to uh be as active as possible and to keep seeking out the best results in mm-hmm you know, my own endeavors, my, my, you know, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, prosthetics before we started today. I mean, what, what would you say are your biggest amputee goals right now if you were to categorize it?
1: Wow. That's a good question. Um, goals. Well, you brought up earlier, um, just how we're all juggling life, right? We all have, you know, jobs or family or circumstances or um whatever it is like it were our fitness goals and you know my my goals are constantly evolving you know at this point um it's different my husband and I were just talking about this this morning we have aging parents uh we're in that sandwich generation where we we have our children we've got parents that you know, we don't know how long we'll be here I just want to spend quality time with the people I love and that sounds very, you know, very small, but I also I'm middle age now and I used to have these lofty, you know, physical goals for like competing and because I still think with the mind of an athlete, you know, um, yeah. and I love it. I love being active and it still is going to have to be part of my life just because I love it so much, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to spend time with the people that mean a lot to me. Uh, And that includes my kids and, um, and my aging parents and, and, you know, back to the juggling and and the pie of the energy that we have in our lives, like, you know, staying, having a workout plan. Uh, I have a day job. I work in a hospital as a chaplain, um, as a kind of an interfaith chaplain and I companion patients that are in the rehab, um, the rehab hospital, and it all it keeps it fresh, you know. It keeps it um, fresh in my mind that whoa, you were you were here eleven years ago. Actually, I just had my eleven year Um, and you were having these same questions, like looking at how life is going to be changing, and how can you find, how can you make meaning and find purpose, and continue to have this life that you love. Um, so yeah, it's just I'm always uh, reconfiguring my time in a way that, um, and I never do it perfectly. I'm always trying to, trying to figure it out, but like, you know, be with my, my parents, be with my kids, be with my husband, still make money, (laughs) um, which is also why I'm, you know, freelance writing too, because, you know, that's something I can, I can keep doing, you know, even to my retirement when that time happens. So. I don't know if that answers the question but no
0: it's it's actually I I think it's incredibly important and relevant that we take those personal inventories and do some goal setting when it comes to uh you know the people that are closest to us. So often like you said people will tend to focus on let's say just a very specific component of their career or they'll focus on you know, well, I'm going to, you know, get in shape or, you know, it's some very specific uh, kind of physical uh, aspect of their life. And I think what you're referring to large in part that I tend to strive for now is it's finding that balance between things. It's finding that overall, you know, recipe that gives you all the components of what you feel are, are, the recipe for happiness. And as we get older, that tends to keep changing and modifying and it, it, it sort of evolves. And as long as we're on board for that, to embrace those changes, I think that we are able to uh, thrive in that space. And we don't see every life change as necessarily a setback. Mm-hmm. We just see it as part of the journey. this is what life is. It's just a series of changes. And then we learn how to navigate those spaces and, um, doing the work that you do as a chaplain, I would imagine a lot of those kinds of themes sort of bubble up in terms of coping skills and being able to deal with trauma and being able to manage all of that. Um, you know, uh, Because you became an amputee in 2011, correct?
1: No, actually, that was my accident happened. Your Um,
0: accident was 2011. Yep. And then, how many surgeries did you have before you actually became an amputee?
1: I had about 11 surgeries. Holy wow! So yeah, you know, I had the um, external fixator, and then the reconstruction, and then the free flap, and the bone graft, and you know, all the debridements, and um, yeah, so. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty ugly. Um, so, and then, um, I had an amp, my amputation two years and two months after my
0: fall. So you're coming up, uh, you're coming up on a decade in yes. terms of being an amputee.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's not too far away. I know. Coming from the clinical kind of space that you do you know, given your, your vast experience with trauma and what your career has exposed you to. You know, I, I guess the question that pops into my head right away is, <clears throat> how do you see the amputee community? Like, what's your perspective? What do you see as the good, the bad, and the ugly? I mean, through your lens... You know, what are you, what are you seeing out there when you think about this community in general?
1: Hmm. Um, wow, that's a loaded question. Uh, I, I don't go on social media as often as I used to. But one of the things that used to kind of get to me was um, the judgment that I could sometimes see in um, the community. For example, um, and it's not just in the amputee community. I see this in healthcare as well with um, providers. Anytime somebody says that they're on disability or they're wanting to go on disability, um, there's this automatic like judgment, like so. Did you not try hard enough, or are you trying to find the easy way out, or whatever? Like that's just one example of um, when. Well, I'll often see people like jump to some kind of a judgment, or if someone is talking about the fact that they're struggling emotionally, um, like, why don't you just kind of pull up your bootstraps? Like for the, all the reasons we've mentioned before, I'm just so aware that we have these multifaceted lives that we don't under, we don't know what another person is always going through. So we only see the leg or the arm or whatever the amputation or the multiple amputations that we've got. We only see that. We don't see the back pain or the, you know, the emotional baggage that can come with what this this life can bring. You know, not everyone has the luxury of having insurance to get a good prosthetic limb or they might not live close to a really good, um, Um, prosthetist like um, so these are all things that factor into how our lives unfold and um, I feel very grateful that I have got a great prosthetist I've got the resources I mean we're certainly not you know uh, incredibly wealthy but like it's always been something that my husband has said you know it's important enough that you have a, a limb that you are Comfortable in and you can walk around on you like not everybody has the resources so you know I'm not saying the amputee community is a judgmental you know group just in general people can tend to jump to judgment very frequently and I I myself will sometimes wonder th- certain things too and I'm having to remind myself that you have no idea what other people's lives are like.
0: Yeah. No, I I agree with that. And I do see people will become a little bit tribal in the way that they approach, the way they're processing their particular experience. And I know that from where I am sort of observing all of those social media activities, it, it tends to sort of get put into different camps and you know, talking about certain energy, attracting other energy, and then, you know, hey, I'm going to stay in this particular group because these people are more kind of like my people kind of thing, and I don't really want to be part of this group because these people make me feel small or they make me feel like I'm not trying hard enough. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I have found the first step is always reaching out. And if you're willing to talk and to reach out to others in the community, I have found personally that most people are very receptive. Most people want to talk. They want to share. And some of the highest functioning uh, amputees that I've ever met were the most gracious, the most giving of their wisdom, of their, you know, their tips and tricks, and all the things that help pro- propel them to that elevated state. And I've talked to amputees that let's say are struggling, and they are uh, stuck. Let's call it. They're sort of stuck in whatever circumstance, and. I've said, well, you know, who, who is someone that you admire in this space? And they've said, well, it's this particular person, and I can see that they're doing this and that. And I'll say, well, have you ever tried to reach out to that person or someone in that community? And very often the, the response is no, I haven't. I, I wouldn't even know how to engage that person. And I always say, well, it's best to reach out because you'd be surprised at what you might find from those people. And, again, your best day, you know, your biggest achievement is going to look completely different than that individual. Yes, that person is competing and they're doing some things that, let's call it, you know, glamorous or celebrity-like or whatever, that may not be part of your journey. Your journey is to You've mentioned, hey, I want to get back to work. That's your journey. When you're working again, you will have climbed the mountain. Ooh. That is your mountain. That's, that, that is the Everest that you are staring down right now. I'm going back to work. So how do we get you there? What communities, what people, what resources? Who have you not reached out to that you can to find the support that you need to bridge that gap that we're talking about. Cause I agree with you. There's so there's so much, I think, as an amputee that's problematic about the um sort of the 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 medical and practitioner piece. And what I'm trying to say is when I first became an amputee, I realized that on the one side of the canyon was my medical community, okay, my surgeons. Uh, you know, orthopedic uh, surgeons and um, infectious disease doctors, all these people that were necessary for me to reach my amputation in a successful way. On the other side of the canyon was practitioners, prosthetists, uh, specialists, therapists, people that were going to get me functional again, And I think the thing that surprised me most in that calculus was these two groups, they really weren't talking to each other. Yeah, That there was this huge lurch that I was stuck in. And the day that things started accelerating was the day that I realized that it was my responsibility to create those connection points. Cause I would go see my, my general doc. He'd look at my prosthesis and he'd say, I have no idea what that is on your leg. I don't know what it does. I don't know how it feels. I don't know how it affects your physiology. I don't know shit about what's on your leg right now. And and I thought that's like like a eureka moment. Like, okay, there's a huge deficiency in what medical people know. Yeah. About amputees. Did you find that at all?
1: Oh yeah. I mean with you know the amputation community but also like even within healthcare. Um when I was going through my discernment period for whether or not I would have the amputation, I remember thinking you know because they they want to talk you into like going through all these fusions and, you know, all these, and I would have, I would have lost a couple of inches of limb length had I gone through a fusion, which would have really, you know, cause I have my SI joint is fused and my pelvis is of whack. You know, I was like, could you imagine if I lost two inches on my side that's fused and my doctors couldn't see, they only saw their one area of expertise. They couldn't see the whole person. So I kept saying if I had an amputation, it would be better for my, my back for my whole body, because everything could be symmetrical, you know, because you can, you know, make your, your prosthetic foot more level, you know. Um, And it just drove me crazy, that nobody looked at me as a whole person. And now working in healthcare, I kind of see the same thing. I mean, it's better in physical medicine and rehab, because they look at the whole person, but like, um, everyone's got their silos. You know, you've got your, you know, your orthopedic folks, and you've got your, you know, primary doc, and you've got your, you know, imaging. I mean, it's just, it's nobody talks to one another. Um,
0: is that? And would you say that that's the thing you'd like to see change? I mean, what would you say is going to put what I consider to be a very underserved community of people what what's what's going to give us the tools that we need to advance to do all the things that we want to do i mean coming you know coming from your perspective would you say that that, that connection point that seems to be a critical part of what is going to help this community in general
1: yeah i think you know healthcare is i mean in 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 general healthcare is in a mess right now because of you know after covid um just a lot there's a lot of needs that aren't getting met in the field, but I think that the more we're able to educate um our practitioners about what it's like to live this life, like as recently as yesterday I had to I have a shoulder injury and I went in for an mRI The only thing they had for me to wheel it because of course I had to leave my leg. N- outside of the room because it's metal (laughs) um they didn't even have a wheelchair in there for me and so they had this walker and i have this shoulder injury and i'm Mm. thinking all right someone didn't think this through i probably could have told them ahead of time but like i think we have to always expect that there are going to be needs that have to be met that you know And that's another thing, you know, I mean, we haven't even probably don't have time to go there, but the mental gymnastics that we have to go through on a daily basis, just to live our lives, that takes a lot of bandwidth. Like, you know, I I never thought I was going to have to talk to them and say, I might need a wheelchair to get to the MRI machine. (laughs) You know,
0: It's funny you say that, because I'll mention that to, you know, my family or friends or, you know, I'll, I'll say to my girlfriend, um, I kind of have to plan out my steps, Yeah, you know, where are we going? What are we doing? You know, I, I have to sort of, okay, how am I going to get from there to there to there? And, and I, I, I always find myself sort of scanning, doing a lot of scanning of the room Mm -hmm. to make sure that I can navigate spaces and not have any issues. It's, it's, it's a different way of approaching life. It's certainly more calculated Uh, Mm -hmm. it, it pulls away some of what we enjoy, uh, before limb loss as spontaneous. Yes. The thought of like, just going out of town, like on a moment's notice, it's like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. (laughs) I I can't just, I can't just go, you know?
1: (laughs) I know. Cause if you forget something, like I didn't have an extra ceiling sleeve and I was like, Oh yeah. you know, like I blew through my ceiling sleeve and now I have a nerve that every time yep. I don't have good suction, that nerve is like screaming at me. And all it took was the the forget the fact that I forgot a ceiling sleeve, like, you know, and yep. I couldn't. Yeah. Or whatever it is. We all go through that, you know, sock ply or.
0: Oh, ply sock is it? that's notorious with me. I'll get to work and be like, oh, man, did I forget to bring a ply sock today? <laughs>
1: I know. Cuz yeah. by
0: lunchtime I know I'm not going to have a perfect fit anymore. Yep. You know. Yep. So, yeah. So so those are just the the trials that that we deal with and um you know the the last thing I wanted to ask you uh you know what's uh if someone that listens to the podcast today and they want to just learn more about you and engage you um what do you where do you recommend they go? I know you have a website.
1: Yeah, my my website is kind of undergoing some construction. Um uh, because my husband and I had like a, a parent consulting business that is now morphing. So I um so com is my my website but um it doesn't look that great right now. Um <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram uh uh, I write for Psychology Today, and I also write for Amplitude Magazine. So, um, you know, I, I you can look for the stuff that I've written. Um, I do have a book that's going to be out in May called Broken, Brave, and Bittersweet. Oh, wow. Um, Congratulations. Talk- yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, and it's about forging fiercely through disability, parenthood, and other misadventures. So I do talk about adoptive parenting Um, and then how my accident happens, but then I kind of give this retrospective lens about all this stuff that we've kind of talked about, you know, the things that you learned through this very unique journey that, that we all have, or, you know, for mine, it, it encompassed my family as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, those are probably the best places.
0: Well, I, I so appreciate you sharing yourself today. Um, and hanging in there with me. I know we've we you and I have probably <laughs> rescheduled like six or seven times. Um and and some of that's my fault. So uh mine too I apologize. No, gosh, not at all. It's such a pleasure having you and you know I so appreciate your story. You're such an inspiration to the community. Chris Prangy Morgan, thank yes. you so much. Yeah and, thanks
1: Rick. And thanks oh. for having this platform to share this this amazing experience with that we all have. I mean, it's just it's so awesome that you that you've started this. How long has it been that you've been Believe doing? it
0: or not, we we're pretty young in this. We've we've only been doing this since June. And the way I look at it is if we can change the trajectory of just one amputee, just one, we've done our we've done our job. And you know, I'll frequently get messages you know, through social media, through, you know, the website and different things like that. And some of the response is just, it brings me to tears because people will say, you know, this just having somewhere to go to hear these stories and to know that my struggle is pretty normal, that what I'm going through, others have taken this journey as well. And to feel that connection um, for me has been just a ton of fun and really, really gratifying. So again, thank you so much for being here. That's going to wrap it up for us. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I want to wish everyone health and happiness. We'll see you next time.